0: CHAPTER THREE OF THE WITNESS BY GRACE LIVINGSTON HILL THIS LIBRIVOX RECORDING IS IN THE PUBLIC DOMAIN It was a sumptuous library in which Heladare awaited the coming of Paul Courtland. Great deep red leather chairs stood everywhere invitingly. The floor was spread with a magnificent specimen of royal baccarat. THE RICH RECESSES OF THE NOBLE WALLS WERE LINED WITH BOOKS IN RARE EDITIONS, A HEAVILY CARVED TABLE OF DULL BLACK WOOD FROM SOME FOREIGN LAND SPRAWLED IN THE CENTER OF THE ROOM, AND HELD A GREAT BRONZE LAMP OF CURIOUS PATTERN BEARING A RUBY LIGHT. ORNATE BRONZES LURKED ON PEDESTALS IN SHADOWS, UNEXPECTEDLY, AND CAUGHT THE EYE ALARMINGLY, LIKE GRIM ones SET TO WATCH. A throbbing fire like the heart of a lit ruby burned in a massive fireplace of grotesque tiles, as though it were the opening into great depths of unquenchable fire to which this room might be but an approach. Gila herself, slight, dark-eyed, with pearl-white skin and dusky hair, was dressed in crimson velvet, soft and clinging like chiffon, catching the light and shimmering it with strange effect. The dark hair was curiously arranged and stabbed just above her ears with two dagger-like combs flashing with jewels. A single jewel burned at her throat on an invisible chain, and jewels flashed from the little pointed crimson satin slippers, setting off the slim ankles in their crimson silk covering. The whole effect was startling one wondered why she had chosen so elaborate a costume to waste upon a single college student. She stood with one dainty foot poised on the brass trappings of the hearth. In her short skirts she seemed almost a child, so sweet the droop of the pretty lips, so innocent the dark eyes as they looked into the fire, so soft the shadows that played in the dark hair, and yet as she turned to listen for a step in the hall there was something gleaming sinister in those dark eyes something mocking in the red lips she might have been a daughter of satan as she stood the firelight picking out those jeweled horns and slippers leave him to me she had said to her cousin when he told her how the brilliant young athlete and intellectual star of the university had been stung by the religious bug send him to me i'll take it out of him and he'll never know it's gone paul courtland entered unsuspecting he had met gila a number of times before at college dances and the games he was not exactly flattered but decidedly pleased that she had sent for him her brightness and seeming innocence had attracted him strongly. The contrast from the hall with its blaze of electrics to the lurid light of the library affected him strangely. He paused on the threshold and passed his hand over his eyes. Gila stood where the ruby light of hearth and lamp would set her vivid dress on fire and light the jewels at her throat and hair. She knew her clear skin, dark hair, and eyes would bear the startling contrast, and how her white shoulders gleamed from the crimson velvet. She knew how to arrange the flaming scarf of gauze deftly about those white shoulders so that it would reveal more than it concealed. The young man lingered unaccountably. He had a sense of leaving something behind him. Almost he hesitated as she came forward to greet him, and looked back as if to rid himself of some obligation. Then she put her bits of confiding hands out to him, and smiled that wistful, engaging smile that would have been worth a fortune on the screen. He thrilled with wonder over her delicate, dazzling beauty, and felt the luxury of the room about him, responding to its lure." So dandy of you to come to me when you are so busy after your long illness. Her voice was soft and confiding, its cadences like soothing music. She motioned him to a chair. You see, I wanted to have you all to myself for a little while, just to tell you how perfectly fine you were at that awful fire. She dropped upon the couch drawn out at just the right angle from the fire and settled among the cushions gracefully. The flicker of the firelight played upon the jeweled combs and gleamed at her throat. The little pointed slippers, cosily crossed, looked innocent enough to have been meant for the golden street. Her eyes looked up into his, with that confiding lure that thrills and thrills again. Her voice dropped softer, and she turned half away and gazed pensively into the fire on the hearth. "'I wouldn't let them talk to me about it. "'It seemed so awful, and you were so strong and great.' "'It was nothing. "'He did not want to talk about the fire. "'There was something incongruous, almost unholy, in having it discussed here. "'It jangled on his nerves. "'For there in front of him in the fireplace burned a mimic pit "'like the one into which the martyr Steve had fallen, "'and there before him on the couch sat the girl.' What was there so familiar about her? Ah, now he knew. The Scarlet Woman. Her gown was an exact reproduction of the one the great actress had worn on the stage that night. He was conscious of wishing to sit beside her on that couch and revel in the ravishing color of her. What was there about this room that made all his pulses beat? Playfully, skillfully, she led him on. They talked of the dances and games, little gossip of the university, with now and then a telling personality, and a sweep of long lashes over pearly cheeks, or a lifting of great innocent eyes of admiration to his face. She offered wine in delicate gold-encrusted ruby glasses, but Courtland did not drink. He scarcely noticed her veiled annoyance at his refusal. He was drinking in the wine of her presence. She suggested that he smoke, and would not have hesitated to join him, perhaps, but he told her he was in training, and she cooed softly of his wonderful strength of character in resisting. By this time he was in the coveted seat beside her on the couch, and the fire burned low and red. They had ceased to talk of games and dances, they were talking of each other, those intimate nothings that mean a breaking down of distance and a rapidly growing familiarity the young man was aware of the fascination of the small figure in her crimson robings sitting so demurely in the firelight the gauzy scarf dropped away from her white neck and shoulders the lovely curve of her baby cheek and tempting neck showing against the backdrop of the shadows behind her he was aware of a distinct longing to take her in his arms and crush her to him, as he would pluck a red berry from a bank and feel its stain upon his lips. Stain! A stain was a thing that was hard to remove. There were blood stains sometimes and agonies, and yet men wanted to pluck the berries and feel the stain upon their lips. He was not under the hallucination that he was suddenly falling in love with this girl. He did not name the passionate outcry in his sole love. He knew she had been a charmer of many, and in yielding himself to her recognized power, he was for the moment playing with a force that was new and interesting, with which he had felt altogether strong enough to contend for an evening, or he would not have come. That it should thrill along his senses with this unreasoning rapture was most astonishing. He had never been a fellow to fall for every girl he met, and now he felt himself gradually yielding to the beautiful spell about him with a kind of wonder. The lights and coloring of the room, that had smote his senses unpleasantly when he first entered, had thrown him now into a kind of delicious fever the neglected wine sparkling dimly in the costly glasses seemed a part of it he felt an impulse to reach out seize a glass and drain it what if he should what if he flung away his ideas and principles and let the moment sway him as it would just for once why should he not try life as it presented itself these fancies fled through his brain like phantoms that did not dare to linger he was no callow mind Ignorant of the world, he had thought and read and lived his ideas well for so young a man. He had vigorously protested against weakness of every kind, yet here he was feeling the drawing power of things he had always despised. Reveling in the wine-red color of the room, in the pit-like glow of the fire, watching the play of smiles and wistfulness on the lovely face of the girl, he had often wondered what others saw so attractive in her beyond a pretty face, but now he understood. Her childlike speech and pretty little ways fascinated him. Perhaps she was really innocent of her own charms. Perhaps a man might lead her to give up certain of her ways that caused her to be criticized. What a woman she would be then! What a friend to have! This was the last sop he threw to his conscience, before he consciously began to yield to the spell that was upon him. She had been speaking of palmistry, and she took his hand in hers, innocently, impersonally, with large eyes lifted inquiringly. Her breath was on his face. Her touch had stirred his senses with a madness he had never felt nor measured in himself before. "'The lifeline is here,' she said coolly.' and traced it delicately along his palm with a sea-shell-tinted finger. Like cool, delicious fire, it spread from nerve to nerve, and set aside his reason in a frenzy. He would seize the berry and feel its stain upon his lips now, no matter what. Paul! It was as distinct upon his ear as if the words had been spoken, as startling and calming as a cool hand upon his fevered brow the sudden entrance of a guest he had seized her hands with sudden fervor and now almost in the same moment flung them from him and stood up a man in full possession of his senses hark he said and as he spoke a cry broke faintly forth above them and there was sound of rushing feet a frightened maid burst into the room unannounced. Oh, Miss Hela! I beg your pardon, but Master Harry's got his father's razor and he's cut himself something awful. The maid was weeping and wringing her hands helplessly, but Gila stood frowning angrily. Cortland sprang up the stairs. In the tumult of his mind, he would have rejoiced if the house had been on fire or a cyclone had struck the place. Anything so he could fling himself into service. He drew in long, deep breaths. It was like mountain air to get away from that lurid room into the light once more. A sense of lost power returned was over him. The spell was broken. He bent over the little boy alertly, grasped the wrist, and stopped the spurt of blood. The frightened child looked up into his face and stopped crying. You should have telephoned for the doctor at once, and not made all this fuss in the presence of a guest, scolded Gila as she came up the stairs. She looked garish and out of place with her red velvet and jewels in the brilliant light of the white-tiled bathroom. She stood helplessly by the door, making no move to help Cortland. The maid was at the telephone, frantically calling for the family physician. Hand me those towels, commanded Cortland, and saw the look of disgust upon Gila's face as she reluctantly picked her way across the bloodstains. It struck him that they were the color of her frock the stain of the crushed berry. He moistened his dry lips. At least the stain was not upon his lips. He had escaped, yet by how narrow a margin. The girl felt the man's changed attitude, without in the least understanding it. She thought it had been the cry of the child that made him jump up and fling her hands from him with that sudden hark in the moment when he had almost yielded. She did not know that an inner voice had called him. She only knew that she had lost him for the time, and her vanity was still panting like a wild thing that has lost its prey. He gathered the little boy into his arms when he had bound up the cut, and talked to him cheerfully. The child's curly head rested trustfully against the big shoulder. "'Floor all bluggy,' he remarked languidly. "'Wall all bluggy!' Then his eyes fell on his sister in her scarlet frock. Gila all bluggy too, he laughed, and pointed with his well hand. "'Be still, Harry,' said Gila sharply. And when Cortland looked up in wonder when he saw the delicate brows drawn blackly and the mouth had lost its innocent sweetness, the child shrank in his arms, and he put a reassuring hand upon the little head that snuggled comfortedly against his coat. It was one of Cortland's strong points— this love of little children. He grew fine and gentle in their presence. It often drew attention on the athletic field when some little fellow strayed his way, and Cortland would turn to talk to the child. People would stop their conversation and look his way, and a whole grand stand would come to silence just to see him walk across the diamond with a little golden-haired kid upon his shoulder." THERE WAS SOMETHING inexpressibly BEAUTIFUL ABOUT HIS ATTITUDE TOWARD A CHILD. GILA SAW IT NOW AND WONDERED. WHAT UNEXPECTED TRAIT WAS THIS THAT SET UPON THE YOUNG MAN LIKE A CROWN? HERE, INDEED, WAS A MAN WHO WAS WORTH CULTIVATING, NOT MERELY FOR THE CAPRICE OF THE MOMENT. THERE WAS SOMETHING IN HIS FACE AND ATTITUDE NOW THAT COMMANDED HER RESPECT AND ADMIRATION, SOMETHING THAT DREW HER AS SHE HAD NOT BEEN DRAWN BEFORE. She would win him now for his own sake, not just to show how she could charm away his morbid fancies. She continued to stare at the young man with eyes that saw new things in him. While Courtland sat, petting the child and telling him a story, he paid no further attention to her. When Gila set her heart upon a thing, she had always had it. This had been her father's method of bringing her up. Her mother was too busy with her clubs and social functions to see the harm. And now Gila suddenly became aware that she was setting her heart upon this young man. The eternal feminine in her, that was almost choked with selfishness, was crying out for a man like this one to comfort and pet her the way he was comforting and petting her little brother. That he had not yielded too easily to her charms made him all the more desirable. The interruption had come so suddenly that she couldn't even be sure he had been about to take her hands in his when he flung them from him. He had sprung from the couch almost as if he had been under orders. She could not understand it, only she knew she was drawn by it all. But he would yield. She had power, and she would use it. She had beauty, and it should wound him. She would win that gentle deference and attention for her own. In her jealous, spoiled little heart she hated the little brother for lying there in his arms so, interrupting their evening just when she had him where she had wanted him. Whether she wanted him for more than a plaything she did not know, but her plaything he should be as long as she desired him, and more also if she chose. When Courtland lifted his head at the sound of the doctor's footsteps on the stairs, he saw the challenge in Gila's eyes drawn up against the white enamel of the bathroom door all her brilliant velvet and jewels gleaming in the brightness of the room her regal little head up her chin lifted half haughtily her innocent mouth pursed softly with determination her eyes wide with an inscrutable look something more than challenge something soft appealing alluring that stirred him and drew him and repelled him all in one with a sense of something stronger than he was back of him he lifted his own chin and hardened his eyes in answering challenge he did not know it of course but he wore the look that he always had when about to meet a foe in a game a look of strength and concealed power that nearly always made the coming foe quake when he saw it he shrank from going back to that red room again, or from being alone with her, and when she would have had him return to the library, he declined, urging studies and an examination on the morrow. She received his somewhat brusque reply with a hurt look. Her mouth drooped grievedly, and her eyes took on a wide, childlike look of distress that gave an impression of innocence. He went away wondering if "'After all, he had not misjudged her. "'Perhaps she was only an adorable child "'who had no idea of the effect her artlessness had upon men. "'She certainly was lovely, wonderful. "'And yet the last glimpse he had of her "'had left that impression of jeweled horns and scarlet pointed toes. "'He had to get away, and think it out calmly before he went again. "'Oh, yes, he was going again.' He had promised her at the last moment. The sense of having escaped something fateful was passing already. The coolness of the night and the quiet of the starlight had calmed him. He thought he had been a fool not to have stayed a little longer when she asked him so prettily, and he must go soon again. End of chapter 3 Recording by Scarlet, Louisiana